Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, welcome, your saltwater guide with another phenomenal podcast. We got the great Bill Varney joining us as usual on Wednesdays. We'll have a great, great time talking to him about all this phenomenal weather that we're having. He's got a lot to say about this phenomenal weather we're having, and I hope you guys are all safe. What an incredible amount of rain the last four or five days we've had up in Southern California. Just historic amount of rain, and there's more and more and more coming with a storm after storm after storm just lined up. So we'll try to get Bill Varney's take on this, learn a little bit more about El Nino and all what that means and what's really going on out there. I think it's just weather patterns. I don't think it's any uh, thing to sound the alarm about and go get an electric car and quit, quit, uh, doing all the normal things you do, but who knows? We'll see what Mr. Varney has to say about that. And, uh, today is Akuma Wednesday. We always talk about an Akuma product on Wednesdays. We're going to show you that Tesoro series reel here a little bit later on the show, that beautiful spinning reel. So you could catch fish like Wesley does down here in Cabo off the beach or anywhere in the on the planet earth fishing off the beach. And that's what kind of bill his, his forte is. If you haven't watched him before, he is the surf fishing guru, Steve Duncan. Thank you for watching everybody that watches at their lunch break. I love that. I think it's so cool. And then the, the follow-up, we got so many people watching this show now every day. It's amazing. And I want to thank you one more time, Akuma for allowing us to do this show because it takes a, it takes a lot to put on this show five days a week. If you don't know, I do this live podcast five days a week. We've been doing it for just over three years and uh, couldn't do it without the great guests like Mr. Varney and all the other people that join us and Heather Smith outdoors. That young lady's going to be with us on Friday. She is an unbelievable fisher person and she's also an unbelievable outdoors person. And she's got so much to talk about. She was just on that show, Naked and Afraid. So we'll find out what that was like. We'll find out she's got a big tournament schedule coming up. She put it out yesterday on her social media. So she's going to be fishing all the big tournaments back east. And she's constantly outdoors doing what most of us can only dream about. So it'll be fun to have her on the show on Friday. But hey, without any further ado, let's bring in the weatherman. Let's bring in Mr. Bill Varney. Hey, bud, welcome. Hey, good to be there. <laughs> well, the weatherman's back. Talk about this weather, my friend, because oh my gosh, it'll take the whole the whole hour up. Really? Well, well. before we get started on that, I just want to say about Okuma, you know, they are such a great company. They, they not only, you know, have these great Avenger reels that we use in the surf, um, the SST rods, they, there's probably about four or five different rods that they carry that are great for surf fishing. Um, and I'll have all those at my booth in, in Del Mar at the show next week. But more importantly, Doug Lasco, who is the president of Okuma USA, is the president of CCA, such a good guy, such a hardworking person. I mean, if, if folks out there want to reward those people, those companies that work really hard to keep our fishing open, Okuma and, and Doug Lasco are, are certainly one of them. And I'm not going to give you a list of the people who do nothing, um, but I am going to tell you that people like Okuma do and, and AFCO obviously just do an incredible job of, of not only products, employing people in California, employing U.S. citizens, um, but also, you know, they're there to help us with CCA and keep fishing open. So thank you, Okuma. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everything. Yeah. And you guys, like we talk about every week, you got to be involved with CCA. It's super important. It's the only, only uh, voice we have at the table, gang. And Akuma gives back so much, Shimano, all the all the real manufacturers are super involved, but 
nobody's more involved than Doug. Doug's been right there, cutting edge, giving away tons of his time. It was just good to be there hanging out in the CCA booth last week, getting to meet everybody and talk to everybody. So that was cool. But Bill, what in the holy heck is going on with this weather? Wow. You know, we, wow, we have weather. <laughs> it's so exciting. You know, forever you can remember in, in Los Angeles when it would rain, the weatherman would go outside and he'd like show people with an umbrella <laughs> and then he would, he would put the camera down in the, in the gutter and show like one inch of water going by. And I'd just be like, it's flooding. <laughs> it just cracks me up. So now they're getting real weather. Um, this is what El Nino brings. El Nino brings real weather. Um, and it's a great thing. You know, California has an, uh, an abundance now of water in all of their lakes. I think I read yesterday that Shasta has 134% uh, of their water capacity, um, which is incredible. And here is other incredibly good news for really the entire West is that Colorado, where I live, has had a tremendous amount of snow also. We've had much warmer temperatures, so that means that the water content of our snow is considerably higher. And the snow, because it's been warm, you know, and warm is relative, of course, but it has been, let's say, between 25 and 35 degrees during the day, where it would normally be 5 to 15 degrees during the day. So snow has been melting at the lower elevations, going into the Colorado River, and by the end of this summer, when all of this snow melts and it's, it's made its way down the Colorado River, I, 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 I could put a bot, my bottom dollar on the fact that Lake Mead, um, Lake Cavasu, all of the downriver lakes will be at, I don't know if they'll be at capacity, but they may be at their highest amount in decades. And, and really, we get one more winter like this, and all of those lakes that were, were virtually halfway empty will be spilling over the top. So we're back. And, and that's how things work in the weather. You could have droughts for several years go by. You're worried about the droughts. Things are, there's fires. There's problems and all that. And literally, just in two or three storms, it'll make up all of what happened for four or five years. So that's Mother Nature. That's how Mother Nature works. And, and they've really been doing a number on us out there in the West. Well, now you think that they can put water back on the tables when you come into a restaurant? Because that really probably saved the state of California by not having that water, glass of water on the table. That was probably it. That probably pushed us over. That's why we're saved now. That. <laughs> Well, well, that's that's a good point. The only problem is it doesn't include straws. Okay. So you'll also have to be able to pick up that heavy glass of water and get it up to your mouth so you can get some of that freshness inside well, of we you. Don't so use, I, I, I hope it comes If we don't around. use the straws, then what are the turtles going to eat? <laughs> exactly. What are they going to wear as little necklaces? Right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we won't go there. And, and we, we joke about the plastic. You know, we joke about the plastic issue in, in the ocean. Uh, it's really nothing to joke about. It is a big problem. But, you know, it's just like anything else. It's like, let, let's say that you go, you know, lobster fishing and, and, and there's this big rock structure and the lobster come out of that rock structure and that's where you catch them. And then you go 200 down, yards down and there's rock structure, but there's no lobster there. I mean, that's the thing about plastic is that, you know, we, the United States in large part, we are the rock that has no lobster on it. When you go to Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Malaysia, they are pumping plastic into the ocean. It would blow your mind, the plastic there. And then that flows into the ocean. So plastic is a big problem. We need to figure out some way to clean it up, A. B, we need to figure out how to get to third world countries and have them use less plastic or incentivize them to recycle it or something like that. But to continue to blame the Americans on too much plastic and taking away our straws, or they want to take away your belt, you know, all, all, you know, or anything else you can find that's made out of plastic, it's absolutely ludicrous. We, we are leading the world in, in saving the environment, protecting the environment, enhancing the environment. And we should be very proud of ourselves for what we've done. And we should look at the rest of the world and not point our finger at them, but offer them our help. 
use this incredible technology we have in the United States, this drive, this edu- you know, we're so well educated in this country that we know that there'll be problems in the environment. When you live in a third world country and all you think about every day is shelter over your head and finding enough food for your children, you don't have time to think about the environment and to make the environment better. You're just trying to survive. So it's our job to go around the world and say, look at us. We've done a great job. And guess what? We're here to help you. Well, you know, you say that, and I always look for an opportunity to bring this up, and I've always not brought it up. But you know what they did down here in Mexico? About eight years ago, they banned plastic bags. Okay. They didn't do it like they did in California where they banned plastic bags and then they sold you thicker plastic bags. There is no plastic bags allowed at the stores down here. If you go grocery shopping and you don't have your bag, if you don't have your canvas bag, you're putting your groceries in your pocket. You're there. There is no, Hey, I want, I'll just buy some plastic bags like we do in California. There is no plastic bags down here. So you don't see the phenomenal amount of plastic bags blowing around that, you still see in California because when they banned plastic bags down in Mexico, which is a third world country, by the way, when they banned them, they banned them. There was no, you can go get one thicker now and pay 10 cents at the grocery store. No, there is no bags. That's the really, really unique thing about what they did down here. When they banned plastic bags, they banned them for real. So there's a lot to say about third world countries, but yeah, the United States of America, we, lead the way in everything, especially sustainable fishing, Bill. We talk about it with Tommy Gomes, mm-hmm. where I bring Luke McFadden, I bring Reed the Fishmonger on here. We talk about how the United States of America, the number one consumer of seafood in the world, and we we practice sustainable fishing, and then we buy our seafood from countries that don't practice sustainable fishing. It's the craziest thing. Exactly. So, you know, we could go on and on and on about that. But what I wanted to talk to you about today was the new beaches that are going to be formed, the all the cool stuff. And you and I talk a lot about bait, the type of bait. And I was thinking last night, what are Bill and I going to talk about today? And I was like, ghost shrimp. I want to talk about ghost shrimp because when I went try to catch them, that kicked my butt, Bill. There's got to be a better, kinder, softer way to catch them. I know you can catch them with $20 bills. That works really well. But as far as me and Tim Tim Ogilvy and, and Jeanette and Justin going out to catch some, what, what is the easiest way? That slurp gun, sand, oh, my God, that sand thing, sucking that sand up. My goodness. Is that the only way? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You, you ask so many hard questions. Yeah, there, there <laughs> you know, there's a lot when it comes to like catch well, fishing in general, but, but catching bait, there's a lot of mistakes made where people make it much more difficult on, on themselves for sure. So talking about ghost shrimp, you know, when it comes to ghost shrimp, there's basically, you know, I'm going to say there's three ways to, you know, to catch, acquire them on, on your own for free. One would be going down to somewhere where they occur and take a shovel and look for holes and try to dig them up. That's one way. It's hard to do. Second way would be to build your own ghost shrimp pump. You can go, as a matter of fact, you look in the back of my book. There's an appendix there that gives you all the instructions and a part list of everything you need to to build a ghost shrimp pump. You just go down to um, Home Depot. I used to say it cost $17 to make one. It's probably about $27 now, but four years ago it was $17. And you could make one. And, And then the ultimate way is by using the Alvi slurp gun. Now, unfortunately, Alvi products from uh, Australia, who were, you know, just the leader, and they're in business for 103 years. They've been around forever doing surf fishing, produce the Alvi reel, uh, the bait pumps, they call them Yabies down there, um, all different types of equipment that they have. Unfortunately, they decided to close their doors and none of their relatives or kids or anything took over. So, so that was a, that was a huge loss. They made the best bait buckets 
and, and these ghost shrimp pumps. But the thing about their ghost shrimp pumps is that their pumps are stainless steel. So not only are they just completely impenetrable to the, to the ocean and so forth, but the, the, the side of them, you know, it's a round tube, and I'll show you one in just a minute here, is so thin. That when you use it in, in wet, soft sand, it literally cuts through the sand like a hot knife through butter. Whereas when you use PVC pipe, which is what we use when we build them from the depot or, or Lowe's um, or, or any type of store like that, um, the, the, the thickness is maybe like about a quarter inch roughly on the circumference of the bottom. So when you go try to push that through soft sand, there's quite a bit of resistance to it. So if you can get your hands on one of these old Alvey um, pumps, A-L-V-E-Y ghost shrimp pumps, there are still a couple of stores around that have them laying around um, that you might pick a new one or a used one up. That makes a tremendous difference in, in collecting ghost shrimp. Okay. But you can't use an electric pump or something like that. It's just that hand sucking that sand up. That thing is so gnarly. Um, th this is the deal on using a hydraulic pump. Now, prior to um, uh, about eight months ago, when they put in an emergency um, declaration from the Department of Fish and Wildlife or the Fish and Game Commission, one of those two did it, you could use um, literally an electric pump to, to pump them out of the sand. That changed about nine months ago, and that's been codified into law now, that you cannot use a hydraulic system of any sort. So, for example, when you go look for them, and I'm going to go over that in a minute, how where to look and what to look for, um, they create a hole, and the hole's about the size of a dime, roughly, and you could take a hose, literally, and put it down in the hole, and then use a hand pump or an electric pump to pump salt water into that hole, and then you know what would happen, Dave? Because they live in a condominium structure, I don't have. A, I don't think they have any HOA fees down there. But it's a condo structure. Would you blew water down into that hole? They would pop out the holes adjacent to it, and you could get five, six, seven, ten of them at once come out of those holes, and they land right on the sand, and you just reach over and and pick them up. So you can no longer use those hydraulic pumps. The reason that the department fish and wildlife bit of those is up in Tomales Bay, which is north of San Francisco, where there's a lot of clamming. Clammers were using those. And although they didn't catch any clammers that were, were above their limit, they were able to go down to do clamming. And instead of taking two hours to dig up, you know, they'd use their um, a pitchfork, for example, and put it in the sand and hit something, which is like a rock, but it's a clamshell. Then use a shovel and dig it up. They climb down with their hand and pull it out of there. Well, they could do this hydraulic pump and get a limit in like 20 minutes. And the Department oh, of Fish and Game Commission just came unglued when they saw somebody could get their limit in 20 minutes because they immediately jumped to the conclusion that everybody was going to go down there and go over limits, which they had. And they admitted no proof it ha had happened. But they said, you know, because we're here to save the world, we're going to do this. And so when they wrote that law, because it fit under all of the same category as other crustaceans like sand crabs, um, other types of clams like razor clams, um, and, and they were dealing with geoduck clams and pismos up there, and with um, se several other grunion and some other things in that category, they laid that law on top of sand crabs and they said, Oh, you can't go down and get sand crab. You know, you can't get ghost shrimp, clams, sand crabs, this list of things by using the following items, which we had all used for sand crabs in the past, which were like a spade, which were like a, a hoe, which were like a, a bag that we'd unzip that we'd use for washing sweaters in and put sand in there and wash it out in the sand. We couldn't use a colander, which I've got behind me. And so we had to go back and clarify the law with that, um, which we did in large part. So that's how that, that's how that all works in the, in the legal world. And that's why you can't use any type of electric or hydraulic pump of any sort. It all has to be manual and you have to do it manually. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, how do I find them? Okay. So where do they occur? Like, like whenever I think about fishing or really hunting too, 
Um, I always think about like my subject that I'm trying to acquire, where exactly does it occur? So do you find ghost shrimps up in the desert? No, no, you don't don't find them in the desert. Do you find ghost do you find ghost shrimps offshore out in the surf line? And you put on a mask and you swim down to the bottom. They should be all over down there. No, no, you don't find them out there either. Do, do you find them in a in a freshwater environment? Uh-uh. Do you find them in a brackish environment? Sometimes. The place you find more often than ever ghost shrimp is inside of harbor areas, estuaries, rivers, river mouths inlets those are all of the areas so let's let's think about a few of those so let's go let's go all the way up to santa monica so if i was to go up to santa monica and walk on the beach i'd come across marina del rey and that's where i'd find not only the harbor there but i'd also find bologna creek okay both of those places in the backwaters you're going to find ghost shrimp and then i went down farther south a little bit king harbor back at king harbor i'm going to be able to find them i go around palos verdes and i'm down around pedro i'm going to find them in the back of the la harbor as a matter of fact there's some areas in the back of the la harbor if anybody's familiar old like us who was around during the vietnam war when we had the um, naval shipyard back there back by the naval shipyard which is where um, the vincent thomas bridge goes over so it would be on the inside of the vincent thomas bridge on the on the downtown la side of the bridge there there were more ghost shrimp than you could shake a stick at there, there were so many we used to collect them and sell them at the bait shops when I worked for Fred Oakley that you could actually just go stamp on the ground and like eight of them would fly out of their holes. There were so many of them down there. So you have all of that. You got the LA Harbor, you got the Long Beach Harbor. Okay. What is behind the Long Beach Harbor? Los Alamitos Bay. They're in Los Alamitos Bay. They're in Hunting, the back of Huntington Harbor. You know that big area that's closed off um, where the naval base is there at Seal Beach? Seal yeah. Beach, Huntington Harbor, right on the edge there. And it's all closed off back there. You have these beautiful reeds growing back there and stuff. If you're, a, if you're a surf angler like me, I would sacrifice my right leg. I got to keep the left, but I would sacrifice the right to get back there i mean there are so many ghost shrimp back there that they're like overcrowded back there they're like having arguments there's so many of them so that's a really good spot um bolsa chica uh inlet there's a few there there's obviously some inside of bolsa chica um estuary there's a open area a closed area there it's kind of complicated there but there's some there um, the Talbert Marsh has got them, the Santa Ana River, and, and I could just go on and on all the way down to the, Do me the border. Favor. Hold on a second, gang. The reason we're talking about ghost shrimp is by far there is not a bait for fishing in the surf that is better. There is not. It's like Bill says, it's not what are you going to catch. It's how fast are you going to catch it? Because the first fish that gets there is the one you're going to catch. They every kind of fish eats them. That's why we're talking about ghost shrimp. So think of that for a second. But I got to do this real quick for Akuma. So hold on one second. I got to show this real. And when you listen to the end of this, listen to what John Bretza says about the way it's sealed, which is I thought was really unique, Bill, because me and you talk about this all the time, getting sand inside your reel. Listen to this. Hey guys, this is John Bretza, Director of Product Development for Okuma Fishing Tackle. What we have here is an addition to the Tesoro spinning reel line. This is a new 6,000 size that all you've been waiting for. Great reel for all those guys down the southeast or the northeast that want to go target you know, big fish on lighter tackle. This 6,000 size holds 290 yards of 30 pound braid or 195 yards of 50 pound braid. It's packed with features. It's all Lumalite construction, body, side plate, and rotor. It's got the IPX7 full waterproof body, so if this thing gets submerged, you're gonna have no issues at all with it fishing. As far as a drag system, it features a carbonite drag system with a maximum 33 pounds of drag pressure, so a tremendous drag output. So say you're gonna take this and fish a, a small, medium-sized tarpon, you're gonna have a pulling power with this reel. The best feature it has is it has Okuma's new flight drive system. So that's going to give you a really smooth operation so it feels good all day long when you're on the water. And one of the things when you're fishing braided line, there's a lot of stress placed on any reel regardless of you know brand or manufacturer. The one thing that we equip this reel to make the Tesoro different 
is that instead of a stainless steel spool shaft, we used a titanium spool shaft. So this thing's super strong, super durable, but it's also something that's never going to corrode. That is incredible, right? That it's see water sealed bill i've never heard of that in a spinning reel and i had to re-watch that a couple times and grab that and then i was like this is something bill and i need to the titanium the it's sealed you can't get sand in there they never no one ever made a reel like that no, no like i told you you know we talked about this before and and i really need to talk to dave brown and <laughs> have him send me some of those reels to look at but this is what we talked about before where, where pen had established for striper fishing on the East Coast, these sealed spinning reels. And they were fantastic, except for the problem is that they weighed like eight to 15 pounds. They were just insanely heavy. So these new Akuma reels, titanium is a very light metal. It's heavy duty, but it's light in weight. Um, it, it's completely um, impervious to salt water. Um, and then in that it's sealed, that's exactly what you're looking for in the bearings. So I, I can't wait to see these reels. And, and this could be one of these, really, Dave, this could be one of these big changes when it comes to surf fishing. If we went back 15 years ago, and I fished primarily back then Shimano um, spinning reels, I'd go through three or four or five in a year. And then they've progressively gotten a little bit better so maybe i'm going to go through a couple in a year now this might be a big game changer here where this reel if you're a surf angler might last you five years ten years something like that which would be fantastic i mean think of some of the long range you know salt water conventional reels we have i mean I, i've obviously got jig masters you know from 1966 probably that still work so those were well made can we get the spinning reel to be in that category when it gets splashed and gets sand on it? I think we can. I think that's the reel right there, that new Tesoro series reel. It sounds like it. We got to check it out. You and I need to get some samples in our hands, and then we'll be able to tell them. So I'll make sure we can get that done. So back to what we were talking about. So the reason why I'm so fired up about Ghost Shrimp Gang is because I had the opportunity back when I was running half-day boats out of Dana Point some of my passengers, I would tell them with my regulars, a lot of my regulars back in the day, we would call each other and I would talk to them and I'd tell them, hey, we got a light load tomorrow. We're going to go sheephead fishing. And they would show up with all the exotic baits. And the guys that had a little bit more, a little bit more financially than the rest would show up with two or three of those little tubs like this big with their ghost shrimp in them. And back then, and then I'm talking in the, the, early 90s late 80s and that back then they were a dollar a piece now i can't even imagine what they were but all i can tell you bill is if you had 20 of them you went through 20 of them in 20 minutes you were done you, you as soon as those things hit the water so that's why i was like you know what i know that we're we got all this weather and all this garbage and the water looks like coffee right now and it's gonna for a long time i thought what a great day to talk about ghost shrimp because the thing is just the most phenomenal bait and i don't care where you're fishing every fish wants to eat them absolutely so let's take a quick look at what a fresh a freshly caught <laughs> versus freshly purchased ghost shrimp looks like yeah check it out there he is so look at those look at the color of that that orangish reddish color offset by an off white i mean it, it's got to be one of the greatest baits that have ever been and of course as as i've mentioned before you go to australia new zealand india this is all places where they fish with ghost shrimp it's just not a california thing it's it's really anywhere that they occur and they really occur all over the world and places like india which is so cool they've got like eight or eight to 12 variety of them they've got ones that are spotted like polka dotted and and with red stripes and all different kinds of of colors so it's a really fantastic bait to use oh it's an incredible bait mike lewis was just asking about using them um, plastic ghost shrimp is there anything special i don't know i've never been if i'm not using a fresh live one i never saw the reason to put on a plastic one i don't even know if they'd work yeah um, you know um sh shrimp is a not you know, kind of bay shrimp, not as much as ghost shrimp, but very, very similar. They're in the same family, are very popular to be used in the South, in Louisiana, 
in like Venice, Louisiana, uh, Corpus Christi, um, in, in, in the Gulf for, um, gosh, speckled trout for, um, redfish for a bunch of different fish. So they're used all around and a bunch of guys down in, um, Louisiana have sent me up plastic shrimp that they have made and they look like totally awesome. They, they look really real. They can make them any size you want and stuff. And they use them, but they say, you know, it does not compare to the real thing. And I believe the reason is, is that it doesn't really have anything to do with the motion of it so much. I think more than anything else, it has to do with the um, density when they bite it and the flavor. And that's the thing about ghost shrimp is they have very unique like parts of their body that are all exposed. They've got a tail that's like a little tiny um, lobster tail. They've got a gut section that's a yellow gut section that is very, very um, odiferous, has a really strong odor to it. Then they've got a carapace area where their legs are, which is very hard. And then they have their head in the pincher. So I think when the fish get near them, bite them, they can smell them, taste them. It's not the same as artificial. Yeah. And that it's a, it's a such a bitch and bait. I know we talked about hooking them a while back. That was a long time ago. We've got way more viewers now, way more followers. The The whole hooking system of the ghost shrimp is totally different than any other animal that I've ever tried to put a hook in. And they made, I don't even, you told me what the name of those hooks were before, but they make those big, long rounded hooks that you thread the, through the whole body. So the whole ghost shrimps on the hook, what were the name of those hooks again? Um, those are called kale, K-A-H-L-E hooks. And kale hooks are every manufacturer that I can think of makes a kale hook. You know, whether it's Eagle Claw or Mustad or Gamagatsu or Owner, they, they all make a wide gap hook. And you'll normally find in the, in the store three variety, a, a um, zinc-plated one, a brass fish, or maybe it's anodized, but brass plated one, and then a black steel one. You always want to use the black steel ones because number one, they hide really well in the bait. And number two, if you need to leave them in a fish, they're going to rust out in a week or two. Those anodized ones might take a month or two for those things to come out. And then the nickel plate ones are never coming. It's going to yeah. be there for the rest of that fish's life. Right. We, we call the nickel plated one jewelry. Yeah, it's exactly. like an earring. <laughs> exactly. But gang, if you do not use those hooks, then you're probably wasting your ghost shrimp because the minute that thing hits the water, there's going to be a million fish trying to eat it. They're going to tear it right off. That's why that hook works so good. But you got to thread it. You start at the uh the butthole, for lack of a better word. You start the butthole and you come out the hook penetrates out the carabus right dead center in the middle of their chest is how I was taught, but I didn't get to go with the expert bill. I was just on the boat running. I remember, I remember where we were, what we were doing. I was on the real fun. I was running the real fun for my father back then. And we were fishing barge rock and the guy showed up and he had those weird looking hooks and he had those ghost shrimp. And I, I went to school. I just stood there and was like, huh? That is pretty amazing. We don't have any of these hooks on the boat. This guy had the only ones and he had the only ghost shrimp, but we all just sat and watched him catch fish after fish after fish. It was pretty an amazing day. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing about ghost shrimp is that there are here in California, a couple different variety. We have one we call the ghost shrimp, which the, was the picture I showed you a minute ago. That is orange. And then we have another one called a grass shrimp. Um, it should have been called a ghost shrimp, <laughs> as you'll see in a second here. Um, it has exactly the same body um, as your ghost general ghost shrimp that you're going to catch, but it is it is translucent and white, and even its claws uh, are a very bright white color. And you'll find those often adjacent in 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 grassy areas that would be adjacent. Um, to where you're going to find the ghost shrimp. So, for example, if I'm finding the ghost shrimp down on the mud 
if I go to the side of a river basin area where they're located and there's grass, kind of like eel grass stuff growing there, you'll dig them up and you'll find these, these grass ones. So when I catch them, and I'm going to explain in, in just a second, like exactly where I go to find them, but how do you keep them? You know, that's really a big question about baits. And some baits you can be mean to, you can call them bad names, and they will last, and they will do their best to get back at you. <laughs> and, and maybe next time we'll talk about some of those. This bait, it tries to get back to you at, at you at some way. We joke around that um, ghost shrimp are the bait that bites back because <laughs> they've got these big pinchers. And they got one big pincher on one side and a small one on the other side. And if you look at that big pincher on one side, right, right at the tip of the top pincher, it has literally a needle there. And it uses that needle to reach out of its hole and grab um, diatomus, I think is how it's pronounced, which is basically just things that rot like leaves and stuff like that. And that's what it eats and, and brings it into its, its hole. So when we catch these, we put them in a little bait container that I keep on my hip that, that belts to me on my hip and probably holds maybe a hundred of them. I think, um, I think you can take, I can't remember now, it's 50 or 30 of them. I have to look it up again, but, but that's a lot. You know, I usually get 10 or 15, 20 at the most. Um, and then I take those, I rinse those out with salt water. So I make sure I get as much sand out of them as possible. Then I put them in a five-gallon plastic aquarium, a little cheap, well, once again, it used to be like 10 bucks, a little cheap aquarium from Petco. And then when I'm at the beach and I'm, you know, catching everything, I take a couple of, you know, gallon apple juice bottles, you know, empty bottles or orange juice, plastic bottles, water. And I fill those up with salt water. I take it home. I pour, I probably fill up this um, aquarium maybe halfway with about two and a half gallons of water. I put them in that water. And then adjacent to them in the water, I float a frozen a bottle of ice water. So what that does is it lowers the temperature of the environment they're in and slows their metabolism way down. As ghost shrimp get warm, they urinate. And when ghost shrimp urinate, this is way too much information. When ghost shrimp urinate, and, and let's say they're in the little bucket, that little um, cup that you buy them at the tackle shop, they will die because it just becomes so acidic in there that they die. So when you put them in this cold water, number one, it lowers the, their metabolism. So their urination dramatically lowers, it dilutes it, and then it allows you to keep them for like three to five days. And they become very kind of almost crisp and hard. So here's a look at the container that I use for them, which once again is one of these inexpensive, they were about 10, they're probably about 15 bucks now, little plastic um, things. You don't need an aerator or anything like that. And this just sits on a table in your garage somewhere. And you just want to go in there once every day, take out the existing water bottle, put a new one in there. Um, I've had them last in that system for as long as a, a, an entire week in there. And what's great about that is like you look at the tides and you figure out what tide you're going down there. You go down there on Tuesday, you spend 45 minutes, an hour doing your thing. You collect however many you want to collect, with her, which are within the law. And then you take them home. And by the time you're ready to go Saturday morning, they are lively. They are crisp. They are ready to go. There is no bait better than that. Yeah, that I like that little plastic container. I've seen those at the reptile shops. Those things look like they would be yes. phenomenal. But exactly. you don't know exactly how many you're allowed to have on you at one time. I'm sure that as soon as they see this show, they're going to change that law. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know exactly. You know, we always say we we might give a recommendation of how many it is. I think it's 30, but a recommendation. But we always tell everybody and everybody's watching, including myself, is before you go down there, just take a second to Google it and find out what the state law is so that you're not over possession because often they're not unless you know the warden, they're just not the most friendly folks and it, you know, might not work out for you. You don't want them to write you a, a ticket on it because they might say it's 30, you got 50, we're going to give you 20 counts. And, and the thing that's interesting about um, 
getting a ticket from the Department of Fish and Wildlife is that there is no set um, uh, a fee or there's no set um, charge for whatever you've done. That's set by the court. So when you go in front of the judge, depending on how you treat the judge and what your history is and all that, you may go fishing without a license and they say to you, I'm going to give you a $200 fine and you need to go out and buy a license. And they may say, I'm going to give you a $2,000 fine and you need to go out and buy a license. So look it up before you go down there. Absolutely. And the way that you conduct yourself when they're writing the ticket, that's all on their report too. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you, I know every part of <laughs> all the bad parts I've been a part of. So be careful the way you conduct yourself when they're writing you the ticket. They're going to write it anyway, but keep your, Keep all your uh, words to yourself and wait and just go to court and be a good little boy or girl and dress up proper and go there and listen and keep your mouth shut. It'll help you out tremendously. So, yes, it, it makes a lot of sense, Dave, to start when you see the judge to greet them properly and apologize for what you've done and then just shut up. That's my suggestion if you go to court. <laughs> Absolutely. So do you think there's going to be a lot of, I mean, I, most of us haven't, since we started listening to you and surf fishing and stuff, we haven't seen this kind of weather. So when this is all said and done, is it going to be hard to find ghost shrimp after all this? Okay. So let's talk about how we find ghost shrimp. And then we'll definitely cover that, that question because it will vary. It definitely will vary. So when we go hunting for ghost shrimp, the, you're not going to be able to catch ghost shrimp at high tide unless you've got your scuba gear on. They always occur under the water when the tide is high. They are an air-breathing organism, so they're like a sand crab. They have to come out during the low tide periods and breathe, basically, to be associated with oxygen. So when we're looking for a place, let's just say, for example, we're going to go um, to a, a local harbor we're going to look at our tide chart and we're going to go at a low tide coming up toward a high tide. The best time, so if you go at, let's just use Los Alamitos Bay as, a, as an example. When the tide goes down to its lowest point, you have the farthest out that you can go. So you go out as far as you can to the edge of the water where the water is lapping up there and you look for holes out there. Anything that lives inside of a bay area, whether it's a clam, a worm, or a ghost shrimp, or a goby, those little fish, the gobies, they live in holes. So the first thing you're going to look for is holes, and you generally start at low tide going up toward high tide. As the water begins to fill in around those areas, the sand will become more viscous. It'll become more um, easier, rather, to, um, to suck up. And to find them, like if I was to, if the edge of the water was 15 feet from me and I tried to do it in the sand that's wet, very difficult to suck them up, A. B, how they operate is they they dig a hole basically straight down from the surface down. And as the water goes down, uh, you know, inside the sand, right? You know, the sand's like wet at first when you see it when the tide leaves. And then you go back half an hour, it's all dry on the top. It's because the water, because of, Uh, gravity and its weight is sinking down into the sand to the water level. And then once the tide comes up, the water comes up through the sand again, they will sink down with it also. So you want to try to find them, look for them right on the edge of where the water is lapping up on the sand. And then as the tide continues to come up, you back up a little bit farther and you work on the holes that are now above you and now somewhat covered or barely covered by water. So once again, you go to any intertidal area, you look at a low tide chart, like my calendar, um, you go basically at low tide up toward high tide, that's when you're going to be able to slurp them up and, and accumulate them. So when I go down there, and, and as I said, they're going to, they love areas where you have a mixture of mud and sand. And of course, every harbor is mud and sand. You know, not a lot grows there in there, but there's a lot of mud and sand. You go out on the open beach, it's all sand. You'll never find a, a ghost shrimp. So you go inside the harbors and where you start beginning finding combinations of mud and sand, you'll see the holes. You're going to use your pump in the hole, over the hole. Um, you can extract them from the hole. You're going to put them in your bait holder. Then before you leave the beach, you're going to rinse them off thoroughly with fresh water. And, and, and by the way, when you slurp them up and one comes out of the hole, but you haven't got it, 
it begins to swim away, they swim it like a half a mile an hour. Like you'd have to be in a wheelchair not to pick them up. So, so they don't get away. The other things we baits, we try to get, get away, but they don't get away. Um, so you rinse them off, you get a couple of bottles of water, you take it home, you put it in your, your, um, your aquarium. So here's the ghost shrimp pump. I got it out for you. I'm going to show you what it looks like. So I back up a little bit here. So this is the Alvi ghost shrimp pump. Um, this would be the bottom of it. And of course, like I had spoken about here at the inside circumference here is probably a couple, two inches, maybe inch and a half. It's all stainless. It's very, very thin and very sharp. If you drop this on your toe, which unfortunately I've done a couple times, you will lose your toenail because the damn thing is probably about 10 pounds and very, very sharp down here. It's got a little, um, if it comes down anymore it has a rubber stopper in the inside here and then it's got a large wing nut you can loosen and tighten that that will allow you to make it loose more loose and more tight the tighter you make it the more suction it will create so that's the bottom and then this is the top so this is the handle this is the improvement in their handle that they made where they put rubber on it, it used to just be stainless that you hung on to and then this is the handle that you pull up um and then and as you pull it up and you're holding this down on the bottom, on the sand on the bottom, as you pull the handle up, it sucks the sand up into, up into this cavity. And then you just move over a foot where the sand is dry. You just spit it out onto the ground and there they'll be right in the sand there. And it'll allow you to go down. You know, like I'll never obviously go down, you know, the whole distance. You might go down like a foot or so into the sand. That's the farthest you're ever going to need to go down to catch the ghost shrimp. So that's how the ghost shrimp pumps and that works. And you just take it and rinse it off when you get home with fresh water. As I said, it's made of stainless. Every once in a while, you're going to take it apart and, and, and maybe replace the rubber, although that doesn't often happen. But you're going to take it apart and then rinse all the sand out of it, put it back together. You might want to put a little Vaseline on the inside so it's got a little bit more slide there. And that's all you need to get ghost shrimp. I mean, you get one of those and you basically, once you find the spots of ghost shrimp, you're going to be catching free ghost shrimp for the rest of your life. So let's do some math here. See, I'm a, I'm a mortgage broker, so I have a, cal I have a really sophisticated ca calculator. So let's say that it was $12.95 a dozen. Okay. And I go surf fishing, not as much now as I did before, but I went like three or four or five days a week before. But let's say that I just go one week, one day a week, and there's 52 weeks in a year. And doing the math, that means that I would save $1,061.90 a year just on Ghost Run. And that's if you went once. And I went once. And be honest with everybody, once you use them, it's hard to not use them anymore, huh? Because you know you're going to get a bite. Oh, abs absolutely. And, you you know, the, the more that you work with them, the more that you learn about what size works in the area where you are, and also when they're too old and they're not going to work. Now, everything that dies in the marine environment gives off ammonia. And ghost shrimp are certainly one of them too. So when ghost shrimp begin to die or when they basically die, they immediately begin to give off an odor that does not interest surfish. So that's the thing about getting them for free and using them, not only to get really good at catching them and it's fun catch. I mean, it's fun. Like, like I have as much fun, Dave, going out and catching baits as I do fishing them, I, I have to be honest with you because it's fun. You get, you, you know, it's not easy. It's, it, you have to know where they are and you have to go search for them. And some days they're there. Some days they're not there. Some days they're big ones. Some days there's little ones. And the other thing that's super exciting about it is like, when you get a good, like that picture, you get a good bucket of bait. You, your skin is crawling to get down to the beach and put one of those on a hook and throw it out or, or go out on the half day boat and get a big sheep's head out there. Something like that. So that's really how we catch them. And then I'll give you a couple examples of places. Like if I was to go in the back of an estuary or I was to go in the back of a harbor to look for them, LA Harbor, let's say, there's very little 
um, current back there. There's the tidal current, but there's very little current in general back there. Um, and there, and, and, and there's more solidified kind of mud, sand and all back there. So if I went back there 40 years ago, I'd have the same conditions as if I went back there this afternoon. Very, very similar there. Other places are different. A really good example is the Santa Ana river mouth. The Santa Ana river ha has billions of ghost shrimp in it. And if you go up the Santa Ana River, it goes from the ocean almost all the way up to the 405 freeway, which is like two miles. It goes way up there. And they're all along up there. And as I said, they're in the salt water, the brackish water and all that. When we have big storms like we had, and this is mind boggling, Dave. So I would go up there and I would go, let's say, let's say I went up there a month ago, a week ago, and I went and I looked for, for them. And, and there were all these sandbars that are created and they got the kind of sand mud structure in the holes and I'd slurping them up, blah, blah, blah. If I went up there tomorrow or the next day after this rain is concluded and, and, and the water coming down there is included, concluded, you would be, your mind would be blown. There is going to be three to five feet of mud and sand gone gone out to sea and a mile up like like if you did the math on that oh no get the calculator out if you did the math on that it's mind-boggling how much soil is moved and so i would go out there sometimes and i'd be slurping my brains out like i'd be done in 20 minutes beautiful best bait ever and then i would go and they would be all over let's say and then i would go back the next week after a storm completely gone the places they lived are gone the holes are gone everything's gone right so i worked with a, a biologist out of long beach and with the department of fish and wildlife to do a little study about how do they get blown out to sea and then how would they reestablish themselves well it's crazy in like six weeks they will reestablish themselves and although they'll be considerably smaller maybe half the size they grow very quickly, and within three months, the sand is back, the holes are back, the ghost shrimp are back. So the answer to your question is, if I was to go to one of my favorite spots to, to catch them, they probably wouldn't be there for a while. But if I was to go to places that are not um, influenced or as influenced by freshwater rushing offshore from huge storms, you will continue to find a mission bay is a good example of that regardless of how much it rains you're always going to be able to find them in mission bay so they think that they just put their larva all over that it's just floating that's around back in there and then all of a sudden it just reestablished itself it doesn't get washed out that's the only thing that could possibly make sense that is amazing i never even thought of that, that. Is, yeah that is exactly dave what happened that is exactly what happens when they get blown out their larva gets blown out too and then it, when the tide comes back in it reestablishes that larva all over the place and you might come back a, three months later and find them in spots you never even caught them in before they what i found too bill is that when you're using them if you get one that has eggs in it oh my gosh you can't even get it in the water they're jumping out of the water to eat it that they love them with the eggs in it just like when i use grunion when I'm fishing grunion, that's yeah. my favorite bait because it was easy to get. You didn't have to slurp sand. Now we can only have 30 grunion at a time, and it's probably going to go to zero here soon because they found out that we enjoy it. So the grunion, though, if they had eggs in them, oh, baby, those calico bass couldn't get to them oh. fast enough. They just love the grunion with the eggs. And I, and I notice a lot of the guys that pour plastics, they always put a little orange on the bellies of these plastic lures because they know that that's going to cause the fish to bite. Same with the ghost shrimp. It's just a really special bait. If you've never had an opportunity to try it, you have you covered in your book too, right? You got a lot about yeah, it in your I, book, right? I, I do. I cover all about it in my book about how where to find them, how to catch them, how to keep them, how to hook them. You know, everything that's involved in, in the ghost shrimp is in there because it's so important. And, you know, the ghost shrimp is nothing new. I mean, my dad was born in 1928 in Hermosa Beach and in the 30s, they use ghost shrimp. So it, there's nothing new about ghost shrimp. 
Um, they, they've been around forever. They work great. And, and you know, there's a reason why inshore baits almost always have some orange on the bottom of it of them. And it's, it's the eggs and sand crabs. It's the eggs in the color of ghost shrimp. I mean, it's the red pelagic crab. I mean, it, red, if there's any color in the ocean that they said, okay, you can have chrome and one other color. What's it going to be? Are you going to get chartreuse? Are you going to take blue? It, it's always going to be red every time. Every time. Yep. Yep. You know what? We, we'll talk about this next Wednesday. The missing link this year, and Todd Manter and I were talking about it yesterday on a phone call. The pelagic crabs aren't here yet. They're not here. Mm -hmm. Normally, El Nino, you'd already seen pelagics. You'd seen the red crabs. They're missing in this scenario of El Nino. I don't understand it. And I, we can't really tell if we got five minutes, but... That's the missing link right now in this El Nino is where's the pelagic red crab? Where are they? I, I know. Isn't that weird, Dave? Because, you know, um, in, in our last time we had them um, a few years back, it's hard to remember because we've had such big changes over the last few years. But I was fishing. I was rock fish fishing off the Hollister Ranch way up by um, above Santa Barbara. And they were loaded with red crab up there. And then we came down, I have to look up another picture. We came down to um, Newport Beach to go fishing, surf fishing the next day. And there was like a, like a five foot swath, like the entire length of the beach, probably a mile long of red crab. There were so many of them. And I, I think we talked about this a little bit before that we did put, hook a few on and use them for bait. We did catch some perch on them, but there were so many in the water, red crabs, that it was, we just had to pack up and go to another spot because the fish were full, really. I mean, there's so many of them. Right. And that 2015, that's when that stuff was thicker than thicker than you can even comprehend. Like Bill said, the beaches were covered in it. Pe people that weren't from around these here parts were thinking it was the end of the world, but it was just, <laughs> it's just a cycle. The whole beaches were red, just covered in red crabs. And then we were catching that bluefin. And when that bluefin first showed up in 2015, when we started catching it, that stuff was so hungry because there was no anchovies, there was no sardines, there was red crab, and they don't get a lot of nutrition, but you would pull up a 200-pound bluefin and his belly was plugged full of those red crabs, pelagic red crabs, and that's the missing link. It's got to show up here. It's got to come. It's going to be here. It's probably going to be here in the springtime, but just wait. And then if that shows up, then we know we're of a true El Nino, but it doesn't get much truer than this, right, Bill? Oh, oh no, this, this is it. I mean, there had been a lot of talk. There are some really good meteorological prognosticators that are not the people that are on the news you watch at night that are real meteorologists. Nathan cool in, in Southern California is one of them, probably one of the best meteorologists. And he was, you know, talking about months ago about this coming. Well, you know, I've lived in California my whole life for, for 56 years before I, I left California, although I still spend a lot of time there. But And I had seen, and I always paid attention to the weather because not only was I a surfer and an angler, but I was a skier and a backpacker and all these other things. So the weather was really important to me. And, and so I could see the comings and goings of El Nino. Well, when I came here to Colorado, although I had lived here for a few years back in the 70s, I began to, of course, pay attention to the weather here, which is more important than in California because you can die in it. Um, and this year is such a classic El Nino out here. I mean, it, it is like if you were to look up El Nino in the dictionary this year for Colorado, they'd have this the picture of here. Because what we've got is we have a tremendous snow and hard now. We have a tremendous amount of snow uh, coverage this year. The snow, rather than being this very light snow, like our snow is so light here in Colorado, I can go to the hood of my car and I have a foot of snow in it. I can literally blow it off to the hood with my mouth. It's this snow we have this year is like Sierra cement. It's much heavier. It's much thicker, has a much higher water content. But really the telltale sign, Dave, is the fact that 
our temperatures are normally between 5 and 15 degrees during the day this time of year. And because we have very little sunlight, we're in the mountains and all that. And it has averaged between 25 and 35 with the temperature in Denver going up around 50 and 60 degrees in the middle of the winter. It's, it's, not, un, you know, it's not unusual from a global climate change situation, but it's very indicative of El Nino. El Nino. Right. It's and here. Then, and then that storm you were telling me about that's coming from up there between Hawaii and the Aleutian Islands with 100-foot waves. That's El Nino storm, baby. And what's going on in all the the saturation of the soil and everything? We're in store for one hell of a February. This is going to be absolutely. Insane. I mean, don't don't forget, winter winter is not over. You know, <laughs> I mean, I remember when it snowed on June for. I mean, it snowed. I remember when it rained in Santa Barbara, poured on June first. So there's several more months to go. Um, it is affecting surf fishing, all of this um, fresh water being blown offshore, along with all the trash, debris, um, stirring up the bottom. All of that will affect surf fishing for the near future here until that all begins to kind of calm down again. And we get back into kind of a normal cycle uh, of surf and wind and, and, and rain. Um, but for the time being, and I'd say, you know, work on your equipment, clean up your equipment, get your, your line on your reels, new line on your reels. Be sure that your reels are functioning correctly. Take a little time to go online and do things like look at my website, fishthesurf.com. Um, I'll have a brand new fish report up there in the next two, two days. Um, take a look at that, familiarize yourself with some of the different techniques and get prepared because we are going to have an unbelievable, I mean, it's really good anyway, all the time. And, and it has been for years, really since the last 20 years, since they opened up all these estuaries, but we're going to have a fantastic summer and you're going to see some of the biggest spot fin, yellowfin, croaker and corbina this summer that have ever been caught. I, I think we're going to be looking at some records here. Oh, I totally believe that because, gang, what we talk about all the time is when you have this phenomenal amount of of re-nutrient, I call it a re-nutrient to the ocean, when you have all this runoff and all these sandbars and everything Bill was talking about up in the Santa Ana River, the L.A. Rivers, all that stuff is washing out there with all that food. These fish are just gorging themselves, even though it looks gnarly to us. These fish know what it means. They know. And it's not fun to fish in it because you're snagging garbage all the time. But those fish are out there right now just mowing, just having a ball. And as soon as the rain stops and the weather gets nice, Bill says it all the time. They don't have hands. So they can, they're not going to be able to be scrounging around out there. But they're going to be hungry because, like you and me, Bill, when we start to eat, and we start to feel that and we like to we just want to eat and eat and eat. And the fish are the same. They're going to be so ready by spring to eat that the food source won't be there, except now that we talked about ghost shrimp. And then next week, we'll talk about a different type of bait. Bill loves sand crabs. Maybe we'll talk about those next week. We'll have a little conference before. But, gang, these fish are going to be so ready for your bait. You're going to want to grab that calendar right there, Bill's calendar. When you grab the QR code, that's going to send you to Bill's website. You're going to get to see all the cool stuff. Get his book. Get ready. Grab some extra rods and reels. Get some bait hooks. Get everything you need. Get ready because it's going to, like Bill said, it's going to be insane. We, we know, you and I, because we've been on this planet for a little longer than most people, the cycle that we're in now is going to be phenomenal for fishing. It's going to be so epic when it all calms down. It's going to be fun. I'm ready. I'm excited. I can't wait to see all the pictures from all the new, because because of you being on the show, Bill, we've introduced so many people to surf fishing now that are just going to be brand new surf fishers that are going to be out there just wailing on these fish. It's going to be so fun. 
you know, that's so great, you know, because we, we want people to, to not only have a wide breadth of different fishing opportunities, um, but to be able to have a, a, a segment of the fishing sport where it's something you can do with your family, something you can go do for an hour, something that's very inexpensive. It is just another arrow in your quiver of all of the different arrows that you have for long range, short range, island fishing, lake fishing, stream fishing, surf fishing. These are all parts of the puzzle to put together the things that you love to do as a passion. And, and most importantly, what you can do with your family so that when your kids grow up, they're not out on the street selling drugs, they're down fishing or doing sports and things that they enjoy, enjoy doing. So, it, it, you know, surf fishing is a great thing. And we're going to every year, every summer, uh, along with CCA, we have surf fishing clinics right on the beach. I'm working on all the dates now. They'll be up on my site around April 15th. Um, we're looking at down in San Diego, Bolsa Chica in Huntington Beach, Ventura, um, uh, uh, Morro Bay, all along the coast where you can come down. We have about a 20-minute seminar. We rig everybody up. Then we go down on the sand. We spread out on the sand. We provide all of the bait and much of the terminal tackle. And we spread out in the sand. We all start fishing. We fish two or three hours, however long you'd like to stay. And then me and my buddies, we go in between every single person. We walk right up to you and say, what questions do you have? And some folks are, how do I find fish? How do I hook this bait? What does a bite feel like? What kind of fish is this? We teach you everything you need to know right on the sand. It's fantastic. And it benefits CCA. What an, uh, what an amazing event that'll be, gang. Think about that. You guys have been watching Bill. He's been getting you all excited about this surf fishing, but then to go and do it with him, that's going to be pretty spectacular. Bill, thank you so much for your time again today and everybody for watching. I appreciate it. Akuma, thank you for supporting our shows on Wednesday. Gang, tomorrow we got the great Kelly Girl joining us. Get your questions ready. Whatever you want to know from Kelly Girl, she'll be with us tomorrow. She promises. She's got everything ready. She's going to be on the show tomorrow. And then don't miss on Friday. We got Heather Smith outdoors. You can look her up on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. The young lady is absolutely amazing. And then just to hear her stories about being on that TV show, Naked and Afraid. I'm sorry. I look at these people when they do that show and they're covered in bug bites. I'm out. But I want to know what that's like to be standing there in the middle of the forest with a million bugs all over you. Uh, no, thank you. So she'll have some great stories. Bill, thank you very much. Everybody, thank you. I'll see you all tomorrow. Have a great day.